You're listening to the Fueled and Free podcast. I'm your host, Margaret, a holistic nutritionist, bringing you real talk and thought-provoking conversations on food, the wellness world, women's health topics, and life. Remember, the information shared in this podcast is not to be taken as individual or medical advice. Have you ever wondered how diets or wellness fads like keto or intermittent fasting or 75 hard actually affect your health? Maybe you have a friend that's had good results with one of these quote unquote diets And you're wondering if it's something that you should try too. In this episode, I share the nitty gritty on what I consider are three popular diet trends that I'd consider to be restrictive, can potentially disrupt your hormones, may negatively affect your relationship with food and exercise, and may not be the best for your metabolic health. I hope you enjoy. Hey, hey, let's dive in on today's episode. I am sharing some perspectives today on three popular diets, or I guess you could say weight loss or health trends that I'm seeing. Some of these have been around for a while, but one in particular is kind of a newer health trend. I guess you could say, I don't even want to say that it's a health trend, but it's it's very popular in the health and wellness and diet world, if you will. Um, I will say before we begin, I'm taking this from the angle of whether or not these popular trends or diets are metabolically supportive, meaning are they ideal for your thyroid health, for your hormones, for your digestion and overall longevity? Because let's face it, it's not just about the number on the scale. We not only want to look good, but we want to also feel good. And so before you set out to follow the latest TikTok or Instagram trend that your friends are doing for losing a few pounds in time for summer, You need to make sure that it's not going to sacrifice your hormones and leave you worse off than when you started. I know that weight loss is a topic or a goal that's often paramount for women that are seeking to be quote unquote healthier. We look at the skill and the size of our clothing and how our clothes fit as a benchmark for whether or not a program or a protocol or a plan is working for us. And I I totally get it. I would love to lose a couple pounds over here in time for summer. Um, but I'm just not willing to do that at the sacrifice of my hormones. And I know where my body is metabolically right now, especially recovering from COVID at the end of March, early April. I am not in a season right now where it makes sense for my body to be in a calorie deficit and hardcore upping the exercise, right? The process of losing weight is not just a one size fits all The conversation itself on weight loss is not straightforward or one size fits all. All right. We've been super culturally brainwashed to believe that these transformations need to happen in 90 days or less. You'll see ads all the time on social media. You're probably following people that maybe they represent an MLM or a direct sales company that sell products or programs that promise these big transformations. But weight loss is an energetically expensive process. All right. And sometimes we go on these diets not even necessarily for the purpose of weight loss, but maybe we're coming off of a vacation or a string of weeks or maybe even months where you're like, I have been eating like trash, right? We've been eating too much takeout. Maybe we're drinking more alcohol than normal. We're not dialed in on our exercise. Like you've just been like, screw it for a while, which we've all been there. And so sometimes we just tell ourselves like, I just need a plan to follow. I need something to follow that just tells me what to do. 
because that will help me get back on track. I just need to get back on track. We've all said that. We've all had that feeling, especially after a time of screw it mentality when it comes to diet and exercise. But I can tell you that jumping on a super restrictive diet or a really intense challenge or plan is not necessarily the answer here. I also think it's important just to drive home how much diet culture and these programs and plans, it is such a multi-billion dollar industry that really preys on women. And so much of what it's focusing on is restricting and eliminating. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we should leave that in. That was my dog. If you guys didn't hear that in the background, she's asleep on the floor next to me while I record this. So back on track, some of us here started dieting when we were kids. And I will say some of us perhaps didn't have access to quality foods, or we lacked education and knowledge on how to properly care for our bodies and fuel our bodies. I personally very vividly remember paging through health magazines. And I I say health over here in air quotes as I'm recording this. There were different magazines in line at the grocery store where I'd be standing in line with my parents and the headlines said like last 10 pounds in 10 days or 10 minutes to six pack abs in just 30 days. I remember my grandma had like a thigh master underneath her bed. I don't even know if she used it. Um, She also had those like sand weights that you'd tie around your ankles. Those were like the Richard Simmons days. I remember my mom wearing her like spandex unitard outfits and doing her, you know, little routine. And everything was just so marketed as such a quick fix. It was like, get the body of your dreams now, right? And we should know by now that that's not, it just doesn't work. It doesn't last. I also vaguely remember fat burner pills. I'm pretty sure my stepmom took them. These worked by increasing your body's internal temperature, which causes your body to burn more calories in order to cool itself down, which when you hear it like that, you're like, that's crazy. And these had lots of caffeine and like green tea extract. There was one called ephedra. I was looking this up the other day as I was creating the the, the notes for this podcast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm pretty sure my stepmom took that. Um, It was very effective, but it had a long list of side effects like high blood pressure and increased heart rate, and it since has been like taken off the market. So let's talk about three popular diet trends that are on the scene today. First one I want to talk about is kind of newer. Um, It's called 75 Hard. We're talking about 75 Hard today. It's a very viral wellness and health trend. It was actually created by an entrepreneur. He's a best-selling author and a public speaker. He's also a podcaster. His name's Andy Frisella. I believe it first gained traction and popularity on TikTok first, but I've also seen more people sharing and talking about it on Instagram. I also have a few personal friends that I know in real life that have completed the 75 hard challenge. One friend in particular, she's done it twice. And I'll admit she's had great results from doing it from a perspective of like dialing in on her eating habits, not drinking alcohol building muscle, and it did help her lose some weight, but it's also very extreme. I do acknowledge that doing something extreme is not inherently bad. I I think there is something to be said about having some more self-discipline, 
but I do not think 75 hard is for everyone. And so I want to talk a little bit more about this. First off, 75 hard is just simply a challenge. There's no evidence of its efficacy or safety. It's not been researched or studied or anything like that, but it is very much marketed as a weight loss or body transformation program, if you will. There are a bunch of rules for 75 hard. In fact, I think if I had to follow it, I'd have to like write down the rules and set timers just to even stay on top of it. It's that intense. You do 75 days straight of the following. Number one, you follow a diet. There's no structured rules here. You're just encouraged to follow a diet or a structured plan that's geared towards healthier eating or quote unquote physical improvement. So some people decide to maybe cut back on carbs. I've seen some people cut out sugar. You know, they have different parameters of, of what they're following, right? Maybe you're not eating out, doing any takeout or drive through, whatever. Uh, next thing is you must complete two 45 minute workouts a day, one of which must be outdoors. That's intense. I'm just going to say, and that's someone that like, I have great workout habits. I love to exercise. I, I That's a lot. Obviously, one of those workouts could be 45 minutes of walking. So if you could get in a daily walk outside every day, which depending on where you live, that may or may not be the uh, most ideal situation. I can say in the last couple months, we have had such an insane amount of rain. I don't know how I would have handled doing a 45 minute walk every single day, rain or shine, but you know. Um, next is absolutely no alcohol or cheat meals at all for 75 days. Then it's take one progress picture of yourself every single day. Drink one gallon of water every single day. Read 10 pages of a book every single day. And then if you fail, you must start back over on day one. Yay, let's do it. <laughs> Sign me off. Doesn't this sound so fun? No, in all seriousness, I, I'm like laughing, but I did have a moment in March. This is before I got COVID when I was actually considering doing my own version of this. And I had to ask myself, like, why am I so attracted to this challenge? Part of it too, is I was following two friends that were doing 75 hard. Uh, one of which I totally respect her. I love how she shows up. Both of the people that I was following on social media are both solid, solid individuals. But the one couple in particular, she and her husband were doing it together and they had a little accountability together. And I just thought that was really cool. But I also asked, like, why is it so fascinating to watch someone make such a strict commitment to their fitness and their diet and their daily habits? Challenges like 75 Hard are very focused on this all or nothing mentality. It's like you're either in or you're out. And the all or nothing mentality with your health habits, whether we are talking about your eating, your sleep, your exercise, your morning routine, whatever aspect of your health habits we're talking about, the all or nothing is not sustainable for most people. In order to build sustainable habits that you will stick to and carry on in your life long term and continue to go back to, you have to start small. And so 75 Heart is pushing a person to revamp not just one or two habits like diet and exercise. It's asking you to make a commitment that has you dialing in on multiple habits all at once every single day. And it's just not doable for most people to do. And that's not because of a lack of commitment or willpower. Although I'm sure like Andy Frisella would be like, you're just not tough enough. You're not disciplined enough, right? And there's 
you know, a lot of people out there like that, that are all about the intensity and the all or nothing. Um, But it's just not reality for most people to do. And I believe challenges like this add a large amount of unnecessary mental and physical stress to someone's life. And maybe even those that are living in the same household as that person that's committing to 75 hard. I was thinking about that, that in the context of like, my kids, and my husband, if I went in on 75 hard, how does that affect us as a family? If mom is like not doing ice cream or no cheat meals or, you know, sorry, guys, I got to get I I didn't get in my second workout, I got to go get this done. Like, yes, it does show your family commitment, and discipline and like showing up for things that are important to you. But I think sometimes we just lose sight of the big picture when we get so cycled into some of these plans. And at the end of the day, I also look at this, this might sound morbid, but I look at like, when I'm dead someday, is anyone going to look back and be like, man, that Margaret chick, she was so disciplined. She did 75 hard. And she was so good at maintaining her fitness and her eating habits. Like, yes, those things are important to having, you know, strength and longevity and supporting our metabolism so we can show up for the things we want to show up for. But it doesn't make you a better person if you're super disciplined. And sometimes I think we can lose sight of that. I also know like your entire day has to be planned around making sure you check off those things on your list. And it's just freaking intense. A couple thoughts on it too. Working out twice a day isn't necessary, nor is it healthy. I am a huge fan of as a woman on a menstrual cycle, there are times in your cycle when you doing two workouts a day is just adding so much unnecessary stress on your body, aka the days leading up to your period. And I would argue like the first two days of your period, not the time to be like getting in your lifting and your 45 minute walk and this and this and this like I I think that it's so important to just listen to your body cues. The no cheat days, stupid rule. It can massively encourage the binge restrict cycle in which people binge after going so long restricting. It's common to see intense food cravings and binge behavior on things that were previously off limits when people go off of these types of diets and challenges. Another thing I'll say a gallon of water a day is way too much. I talk about this with a lot of my clients, this idea of overhydration. There has been a huge push for a while in the health and wellness world on like, get in your water. And you know, there's lots of on if you go on Amazon, you can buy these like hydration bottles that have like little notches of like, drink this much by 8am drink this much by 10am. And it holds you accountable throughout the day to like stay on top of your water intake. And I do believe some people are super dehydrated, right? They need to drink more water. But a gallon of water is going to dilute your electrolytes, cause a lot of actual electrolyte loss. So you'll see sodium and potassium specifically get lost through the urine. It's going to send a person to the bathroom to pee probably every hour, which is way overdoing it. You're better off actually being a little underhydrated, in my opinion, than being overhydrated. I also would say that progress pictures make you hyper focus on how your body looks, which can be terrible for many women's body image and for men. And again, it's not focused on any actual health markers other than just aesthetically how you look. So that's my opinion and perspective on 75 hard. 
Uh, Maybe it'll encourage you to rethink whether or not it's something that you want to do. Take it or leave it for what it is. But I just wanted to share about it because I've had some people message me on Instagram asking, what do you think about it? Is it a good idea? Next, I want to talk about keto, ketogenic diet, low carb. This was majorly on the scene a few years ago. I'd say this is still a popular diet trend. I still get clients that come to me that they were doing keto earlier in the year, or they found out that they had high blood sugar. And so they immediately are told from their doctor, you should cut carbs and go keto. It's better for blood sugar. So ketogenic diet, it is a low carb, high fat. It claims that it can help you shed fat fast and even reverse diabetes It limits carbs to less than 50 grams per day, which is basically what you would find in a single bagel. I don't don't know what I would do. (laughs) I've never gone low carb like that. So I, I have no idea how my body would even respond. The goal is that when you switch to a high fat, low carb diet, your body by necessity then shifts away from burning carbs or glucose for fuel. And instead it uses fat for energy. So it helps you burn fat stores. This process is called ketosis. It is an extremely restrictive diet. And because you're not eating a lot of fruits or vegetables or whole grains, it can massively lead to constipation, which then opens the door for bacteria overgrowth in the gut, among many other gut and digestive types of issues for people. I time and time again, see carbs as easily the most misunderstood nutrient, yet Carbs are so essential for a vital, higher metabolic rate for good energy and just overall happiness, truly. It's the body's preferred source of energy. They're also essential for keeping stress hormones low. So on an ideal day, when you're not restricting carbs, your body breaks down most carbohydrates from the food that we eat into a type of sugar called glucose And that glucose is the body's preferred source of energy for our cells. We can think of glucose like gasoline for your body. Whatever glucose is not used for energy gets stored in the liver and then muscles as glycogen and then into your fat cells. This is where the more muscle mass you have on your body, the less it's going to get stored in fat. The right carbs are needed for liver detoxification, cellular function for your thyroid, muscle recovery, brain function, and for stable moods. So what actually happens in the body when we go and do keto, when we eat low carb? Number one, lower carbohydrate consumption hinders your thyroid's ability to function properly as glucose is needed to convert thyroxin, T4, to active thyroid hormone, T3. Without adequate T3, you will have decreased cellular function, decreased thyroid health, aka a slower metabolic rate. With low carb or keto diet, you might have a low tolerance for carbohydrates until you rebuild your metabolic state when you're done doing that diet. So what happens is some people will do keto short term, they'll follow it for like 6, 8, 12 weeks, sometimes even longer. I actually have friends that did keto for I think it was in 2020 or 2021. It was a couple years ago. She and her husband did keto for months and months and they lost a lot of weight. But what happens is if you were low carb, you are likely coming from a place of being in a stressed out state. When we are in that fight or flight stress state, we are forced to break down our own body for fuel. All right. So 
we will burn some fat, but you also lose muscle mass as well. And again, that low carb intake, it slows down your metabolism. It slows down your thyroid function. As a result of eating less carbs, your metabolism slows down, burns less calories in order to conserve fuel. And so what happens is after doing keto, if you increase carbs too quickly, it's like your body doesn't know what to do with them. And what can happen is we will start to push them into fat storage. This happens because again, the body's not used to burning them. It's used to burning the least amount of fuel as possible. And so often what happens after doing keto, ding, 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 people start gaining weight again. And they blame it on carbs and say, oh, I'm not tolerant to carbs. I don't do well with carbs. And it's not necessarily the carbs that has more to do with your metabolism, also your your digestion, your gut health, mineral status, and more. So other stats on, on doing low carb or keto, it's linked to low blood pressure. It's absolutely linked to low blood sugar, kidney stones, dehydration, nutrient deficiencies, especially low potassium. It's said to not be safe for those with any conditions involving their pancreas, liver, thyroid, or gallbladder. Even that line right there should be enough to be like, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Loss of muscle mass is a huge side effect of keto as when your body goes into fat burning mode, there's no way to tell your body to burn muscle versus fat. All right. We don't control whether or not our body blasts through the fat sitting on our waistline. And so when we aren't pairing carbohydrates with protein, especially surrounding resistance training, if you're maintaining fitness training, weightlifting, if you're trying to be physically active while you're doing keto, you are not going to build as much muscle mass. Muscle is metabolically active. It helps boost how many calories your body burns at rest, aka your metabolic rate. It helps mitigate age-related weight gain. It decreases our risk of falls when we don't have enough muscle mass. We are more prone to falling and, and injury. Last but not least, and this is actually, this isn't the last point I'll make about keto, but this is quite possibly the most important one. Following the keto diet will massively affect your cortisol levels. And this is because limiting your carb intake causes a starvation response in the body. In order to increase energy levels in the face of your body having less carbs, it triggers the release of stress hormones like cortisol. This will then impact your other sex hormones. So it's common to see estrogen and progesterone affected, which will impact your menstrual cycle and testosterone production declines. Lowered testosterone production is linked to low carb diets, which can affect your libido, hair growth on your head. So if you're lower in testosterone, you'll have more hair loss. It affects muscle mass, cognitive health, you'll be more, more likely to experience anxiety, depression, loss of motivation, low mood. And so going back to that high cortisol and keto connection, when we have high stress hormones, this can give a massive false feeling of energy. After we stop doing keto and we start to eat carbs again, and we start to get those stress hormones down, your body stops breaking itself down for fuel. And that false sense of energy that came from you thriving off of cortisol and that fight or flight state, that starts to go away. And so you start to see the symptoms and the energy levels that have always been there you start to actually see that it's been covered up by high stress hormones. I don't know if that's making sense or connecting, but sometimes when we have that high cortisol, 
from low carb or skipping meals, which we're going to talk about skipping meals here in a moment. It feels good to be running on cortisol. You might feel uh, more energy, more focus. And then when we get out of that high cortisol state, it's almost like cortisol buffers us from feeling how we really feel. And so that's when you'll notice like your digestive issues. It's also common to see skin issues, energy changes. You just might not feel great when you start to reintroduce carbs after doing keto. All right, I started to tease this topic, but now we're going to talk about intermittent fasting. So while most diets focus on what to eat, intermittent fasting is focused on when to eat. You eat only during a specific time. There's different schedules that people will follow. The most popular schedule is the 16-8 schedule, where you fast for 16 hours and then you eat during an eight-hour window. I've done it. I did intermittent fasting for a good chunk of 2018 or 2019. I don't know. It's like such a blur. Um, It was during a time when I was, I think my son was two, my daughter was four. I'll just quick lay out the scene of what I used to do. Okay. And you can understand what even got me into holistic health and trying to fix my hormones. Intermittent fasting killed my hormones and was a huge contributor to the acne and the skin issues I was experiencing. So let's rewind to 2018. Turner was two, Leona was four. Um, I would wake up, get the kids ready, drop one off at preschool, and then run over to the gym, put the two-year-old in gym daycare. We were part of an amazing gym with childcare. It was a life changer when my kids were little. And I had so many friends. It was a really fun season of my life. And I would not eat. I would have my black coffee on an empty stomach and go do Rosie's classes. Rosie, maybe you're listening to this. Um, I used to take her hit classes, Monday morning sweat. You know, she had spin on Thursdays. I'll never forget. Those were really, it was a really fun time in my life. And I would break my fast around 12 o'clock in the afternoon, 1230. After picking up my daughter from preschool, after running around with my son, running errands, exercising, and I would fast that entire morning after doing a 60 minute workout, coffee on an empty stomach. And I had so much anxiety. I was super easily irritated. If the kid whined or there was any drama with my kids, I immediately would yell. That was like yelling mom phase. Um, And that was the thing that really triggered my major hormone issues. So I had really bad PMS. My period was coming every 20 days. I had horrific acne, lots of anxiety. I lost some weight. And then I started to gain weight back again. Um, so that's my own personal story. I'm not a huge fan of intermittent fasting, but I want to explain more of like the science behind what it is. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Obviously, it's an anecdotal story. And you know, we need to do more than just share anecdotal stories when it comes to health. But this is how it kind of works. So for example, most people do the the 16 eight schedule. And so you break your fast with a meal at 12pm. And then you're only eating your food between the hours of 12 and 8pm. And then you're fasting again for 16 hours after 8pm. And so it's really putting this pressure on getting in enough calories between 12 and 8pm, which depending on your schedule, if you're working, if you're chasing around kids, if you have an active day, eight hours is not a lot of time to get in enough protein, enough carbs, enough fats. Actually, you could probably get in enough fats in eight hours, right? (laughs) Any of us can get in enough fats. But If you're aiming for an adequate amount of protein, 
That is a lot of food to get in in eight hours. And the jury is out on whether or not our body can even effectively absorb all of the amino acids from, let's pretend you're trying to eat 120 grams of protein in that eight hours. So let's pretend you're trying to get in 45, 50 grams of protein at lunch, which is a lot of protein. And then maybe you're doing a snack mid-afternoon and then again, a high protein dinner. I don't know that our body can actually absorb all of those amino acids in one sitting doing that much protein. So that's one thing. And so what happens is after hours and hours without food, your body exhausts its sugar stores, its glycogen, and it starts burning fat. This is referred to as metabolic switching. Intermittent fasting works by prolonging the period when your body has burned through calories consumed during your last meal and then begins to burn fat. So the benefits can include weight loss. A lot of people talk about increased energy, increased mental focus. Fasting has been around for a very long time. This is nothing new. It was written about in the Bible. Again, nothing new. The proponents and and supporters of if or intermittent fasting, they will commonly say, oh, our ancestors fasted. They didn't eat every few hours. They had to hunt and gather and their bodies adapted to not having easy, accessible sources of food all the time, to which I would agree that is true. However, we are not living like our ancestors anymore. It all goes back to stress. Intermittent fasting is just another stressor added to an already big list of stressors that most people experience on a daily basis. Number one, and I talk about this, I feel like on every podcast, our environment and the toxins that are in our food, in our water supply, in the air, in our clothing, in our furniture, the products that we use in our home did not exist. I would even argue that many of these toxins and and endocrine disruptors, if you will, did not exist even 50 years ago. That is a major source of stress in our body, a huge driver of inflammation. We're stimulated and activated through our phones, iPads, computers, our TVs, technology more than ever before. That is a big source of stress. Many of us don't have as much community or family involvement and support. And you have both parents working full time in many households out of the home. And the world is complicated now. Humans are more stressed than ever before. From a physiological standpoint, if is stressful on your metabolism, and I will go through why. So when you go hours and hours without food, in order to keep your blood sugar from tanking, because you haven't eaten, your body raises stress hormones, especially cortisol, kind of similar to what happens a little bit when I talked about keto. And this is to keep your blood sugar stable and assist in the process to provide energy for your metabolism. This elevated cortisol is what gives people that feeling, that false feeling of energy or increased mental focus. And for most people, that's not the only thing in their day that triggers a cortisol spike in the body. And I will say, not all cortisol spikes are bad. We want healthy levels of cortisol rising in the body. We will feel terrible and have a really hard time functioning if we don't have elevated cortisol at some point in the day, right? However, you also can experience a spike in cortisol when you do an intense workout, or when your baby cries, or your kids tantrum, when the dogs are barking, and you're on a zoom call with a client or your boss, or when you get caught off in traffic, or you get into an argument with your spouse, or you're scrolling social media, and someone says something that triggers you, the list goes on. And so no, 
I am not a fan of any diet that is going to be continually spiking your cortisol every single day. And then add to that, most Americans love their morning coffee. I'd say most humans, most humans love their morning coffee, which with intermittent fasting, like I did, if you're drinking that coffee on an empty stomach, you're likely drinking it black because you're not supposed to have any calories. So there's no fat, no carbs, no sugar no protein, no collagen being added to it, right? And then add to that that if you're doing a morning workout like I did, with intermittent fasting, you're going to be fasted, you're going to have an even higher cortisol spike. It's like a quadruple whammy. It's like, A, you haven't eaten, okay? You're on an empty stomach. B, you're throwing caffeine in your body. C, you're doing a workout. It's just a recipe for literal disaster, Every time I've talked about intermittent fasting and coffee on an empty stomach or doing fasted workouts, people want to argue about this with me. Here's what I will say. There's not enough research on this. Women are largely underrepresented in studies, especially menstruating women. And so a lot of the studies surrounding cortisol and how our body responds with caffeine and workouts and fasting have not included menstruating women. I have searched high and low. I found very little studies and research. And so I personally am going a little bit on my own anecdotal experience, but also clinical experience as a practitioner that's at this point worked with hundreds of women. And I have done so many lab tests on clients, hair test, stool test, Dutch testing, saliva cortisol. Uh, The labs don't lie. Okay, I've done many cortisol tests on clients who come to me with various metabolic issues like slow thyroid, low libido, hair loss, major PMS, blood sugar issues, I can't lose weight, or I lost weight and I regained it all back. And in their health history, they disclose that they did keto, or they did intermittent fasting in the recent months or in the last year or two, and their cortisol is completely dysregulated. Now, do I think that there are individuals out there that can handle a pattern of fasting? Or do I think that there are some benefits to fasting? Absolutely. You know, I think some people can pull off fasting depending on where they are in their menstrual cycle. There are times in your cycle where your body is less sensitive and can handle longer periods without food. I would say during follicular phase after your period ends and maybe during ovulation. I also think there might be benefits to doing fasting like short term, you know, maybe one or two days in a week versus seven days a week with no breaks, right? And there are definitely individuals out there that they don't have a lot of stress, okay? Maybe they're not getting kids off to school and managing after school activities or working high stress jobs. Maybe they have a lot of control on their schedule and they are in a season of, hey, life is pretty normal and calm and I'm in good control of my nervous system and we have good self-care and just life is good and blissful and I don't really feel a lot of stress, right? There are definitely those people out there. Maybe they could handle, you know, some intermittent fasting or, you know, periods of fasting, right? But majority of the clientele that I work with are women that are juggling careers or they're stay-at-home moms and they're taking care of little kids or they're homeschooling, right? And they're juggling maintaining a home and trying to carve out time to even eat a meal, right? (laughs) 
and take care and raise children or women that are working careers and trying to save up money for buying a house or they're trying to get out of student loan debt. They're just entering into the work world for the first time and they're thinking about starting a family. And we just cannot discredit to what a large mental load does to our physical health too when it comes to stress. All right. So anyways, that is my perspective, opinion, thoughts with a little bit of data and education on intermittent fasting. And just to kind of recap in this episode, we talked about 75 hard. We talked about keto. We talked about intermittent fasting. I would love to continue the conversation with any of you. If you have any questions or you want to dialogue about this more, don't hesitate to message me on Instagram. You can also email me. Um, but yeah, I wanted to kind of have an episode where I unpacked these three diet trends in more detail because I do get asked about them each individually by clients, by people on social media, by friends. And so there you go. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you have any questions, you can also email me fueled and free podcast at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the fueled and free podcast. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Learn more at margaretannpowell.com and follow me on Instagram at margaretannpowell.com.